this is someone like in our alley, in our block, like watching our house. It ended up happening four times in 20 days. Now on the news hour, slashing saga. Who's targeting the tires of a Vancouver family over and over and over again? Leaving them stranded and paying out of pocket. Plus, this is miserable. a nice place to live. I just I don't recommend it. Progress report on a landmark promise. The province's quest to end homeless encampments and the many still seeking shelter. And we want to be the voice of the Iranian people crying for help, for justice, and for freedom. Still searching for answers and accountability in the crash that stole dozens of Canadian lives, marking a somber milestone in the downing of Flight 752. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Who could be targeting a Vancouver family in what's alleged to be a bizarre, relentless tire slashing spree? They say they're at their wits end with someone persistently and repeatedly slashing their tires and their tires alone. And as Grace Key reports, even more puzzling, they claim they don't know who would target them and why. Early October, someone slashed a tire on two vehicles parked in the back of an East Vancouver home. So we like right away went up and down the alley and like no other vehicles, went a block over, no other vehicles. Within days, it happened again. In the video, you see the man head for a tire, but it's the spare that hadn't been replaced from two days ago. So he heads to another tire. It ended up happening four times in 20 days of October, four separate times. Um, and then we stopped parking at home. Every night, Shannon and her husband, Innes, parked their cars elsewhere. After seven weeks, Shannon forgot to remove her car from her drive. It was slashed that very night. So we're like, this is someone like in our alley, in our block, like watching our house, knows when we're... So that felt really uncomfortable. Since October, they've been targeted six times, 11 tires in all. Just this weekend, the person found the van parked away from the house. This is yesterday when I came to my van parked on the street about a block away from our house and he had done both of the back tires. Tire cost is below their deductible. They've been able to pay for eight tires out of pocket. They stopped calling ICBC. They basically told us to stop reporting them, otherwise our vehicles would be flagged as high risk and our insurance rates would go up. That's thousands of dollars in tires so far, plus another five, six hundred dollars in new lights and surveillance equipment. Vancouver police have gone over security measures with the couple, increased neighborhood presence and taken steps that can't be disclosed. Our job is to um, find out who's responsible for this and what's motivating them to do this because nobody should have to live like this. Nobody should have to be fearful, uh, first of all, uh, and have to tolerate you know, somebody going around and, uh, and willfully damaging and destroying the property. There have been no other reports of targeted tire slashings, but police are encouraging possible victims to come forward. Shannon and Innes have no idea why anyone would be targeting them. It feels hopeless. <laughs> Someone needs to help us. Grace Key, Global News.
As of tomorrow, the province's health ministry is reactivating emergency operations centers at hospitals across the province amid a surge of patients in need of care. Health Minister Adrian Dix says more than 10,000 people were in hospital across the province as of Thursday. Base and surge hospital bed capacity is currently at roughly 88%, but we are over capacity without those surge beds. January is typically the busiest month of the year for hospitals, and adding to the strain this year is the so called triple demic of COVID-19, RSV, and the flu. Those emergency operations centers will open on Monday at the province's 20 busiest hospitals. Premier David Eby making his first public appearance of the new year today in North Vancouver, preparing for the second half of his 100 days in office agenda. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, the Premier is keeping his priorities focused clearly on health care. Yes, it all begins again tomorrow. David Eby understandably took a break over Christmas to be with his family, but he's going to hit the ground running again as he tries to uh, complete the second 50 days of his 100-day action plan. So tomorrow, he and Adrian Dix, the health minister, will announce new measures to attract more nurses to BC. The event taking place at Langara, so there's education component to it, and it's going to build likely on earlier announcements about attracting foreign nurses, uh, more spaces for nursing students in nursing uh, facilities, and bursaries and such. Don't have much more detail than that, but I'm also told David Eby will have a second announcement later this week, probably touching on other priority items. His priorities include, of course, health care, housing and affordability, the economy and public safety. So you're going to see a lot and hear a lot from Premier David Eby in the weeks ahead, right up until the House resumes sitting in early February. Okay, more to come this week. Thanks so much, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Two months since Premier David Eby promised to address homeless encampments on Vancouver's downtown east side, the province says it is still working to get its most vulnerable population housed. And while there has been a tangible reduction in the number of tents in some areas, many challenges remain, with many still seeking shelter. Kristen Robinson reports. After eight months in Crab Park, Sean Dunbar says he can't wait to get out. This is mostly a nice place to live. I just I don't recommend it. The encampment on the western edge of the public park's waterfront was established in May 2021 and is still home to around two dozen. Dunbar and his partner moved to BC from Ontario three years ago. He says they became homeless when a live-work arrangement in Kelowna ended. Now the novelty of outdoor living has worn off. It was great at first because it was like almost like an adventure. Oh, you camp in the park, you know, right by the ocean. It's fantastic, right? My wife and I. And then uh, <laughs> the time wore on, it started getting colder and more wet. We know they're not safe. They're not safe for the people living there. Last May, a man was murdered in Crab Park. The encampment was the scene of a mass stabbing in October and a major tent fire in December. Still, BC's housing minister says there are challenges getting everyone inside. We have people right now that are in Crab Park or Hastings Street that actually have residences uh, that, that are actually in supportive housing, but still choose to go out there. While some don't want to leave the community environment, Councillor Pete Fry also says some housing options need to be better. It needs to be safe, it needs to be clean, it needs to be, you know, all the appropriate things. But if it comes down to like uh, a no rules lifestyle, that's not what we're necessarily here to support either. A year ago, the park board's request for an injunction to clear the Crab Park encampment was rejected. The B.C. Supreme Court ruling people cannot be evicted if suitable housing alternatives are not available. I think that sort of burden of proof is what's going to be necessary to actually kind of make that next move to get folks out of the park. Where are you going? Are you getting housing? I'm hoping to. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a job. I'm just finding a job up now, so 
I don't want to be here no more. Dunbar says he turned down a housing offer on Hastings because he doesn't use drugs. The park board, meantime, has installed a new transformer to power Crab Park after the power supply was vandalized, causing major electrical hazards. Everybody out there is like one paycheck away from living like this. You know what I mean? It's, it's so bad. Kristen Robinson, Global News. We now know a teenager was killed in a crash last night in Langley that closed down a four-block stretch of Fraser Highway for several hours. RCMP say a 17-year-old boy was behind the wheel of a Tesla that went off the road and crashed into a pole near Fraser Highway and 228th Street just before 8.30 last night. The teen, the vehicle's lone occupant, was pronounced dead at the scene. The Lower Mainland Integrated Collision Analysis and Reconstruction Service, also known as ICARS, is investigating the incident. And in Vancouver this morning, the driver of a Kepper-style van was hospitalized after driving off 4th Avenue near Granville Island. The vehicle ended up on a meridian near 1st Street, just under the Granville Street Bridge. Nobody was seriously injured, but an investigation is underway with police saying driver impairment was a likely factor. The driver of the vehicle, just one, one occupant, um, went to hospital with some minor injuries. Not life-threatening, but we do believe that alcohol uh, and or drugs are factors. On Vancouver Island, an elderly couple has died in a house fire that broke out in Comox on Friday afternoon. Fire officials say the flames were mostly contained to the back of the house and did not spread beyond the property, but both victims had sadly already passed by the time crews arrived on scene. The cause of the fire is under investigation, but it is not considered suspicious. A man from Chilliwack has now been charged in connection with a homicide in Mission last month. On December 14th, Mission RCMP found a man suffering from stab wounds inside his own home on 4th Avenue near Mary Street. That man, later identified as 64-year-old Holbert II, died at the scene. Homicide investigators later identified 27-year-old Matthew Bauer as a suspect. Bauer was arrested on Friday and charged Saturday with second-degree murder. Vancouver police are once again asking for the public's help in tracking down the last of more than two dozen PE breakout riot suspects. In November, police quickly identified the 10 most wanted suspects from the breakout festival riot before sharing photos of 15 new suspects. All but this trio on your screen have since been identified, and police are urging the final three to just turn themselves in. Investigators received dozens of videos of violence and property destruction at the Peony Amphitheater after festival headliner Lil Baby canceled his September show at the very last minute. Seven people were arrested at the scene as angry fans toppled tables and tents, overturned food kiosks and fridges and brawled. Transit police and Vancouver police are working to identify a suspect after another bus has had its window shot at in Vancouver's downtown east side this weekend. The latest incident happened just before 5 a.m. on Saturday. Transit police say an eastbound bus was struck by a high-velocity projectile on Hastings near Main Street. One window was damaged, but there were no reports of injuries. Last September, 43-year-old William Talio was arrested and charged with 11 counts each of mischief and possessing a weapon for for a dangerous purpose after he allegedly fired BB rounds at buses traveling along Hastings between Columbia and Carroll Streets. Police say 26 bus windows were broken by projectiles in January of last year alone. Talio was released on bail and has a court appearance this week on those charges. Next on the news hour, marking a somber anniversary. 
We are all working together at this federal level to hold the Iranian regime accountable. Honoring the lives lost in the downing of Flight 752, including more than 80 Canadian citizens and permanent residents. Plus, why 8 million girls in Afghanistan are deprived of their basic human rights, education. Being a voice for millions of women increasingly oppressed by the Taliban in Afghanistan. The calls for Canadians to act. That's after the break. Stay with us. Today marks three years since the downing of passenger flight PS752, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau attended an emotional ceremony in Toronto to honor the victims. In January of 2020, 176 people were killed when the Iranian military shot down the plane, including 55 Canadian citizens and 30 permanent residents. The Ukraine International Airlines jetliner was bound for Canada via Ukraine and was shot down shortly after takeoff from Tehran. The Iranian regime's heinous disregard for human life. Your grief has been compounded by their refusal to be held accountable. Nothing will ever bring your loved ones back. On December 28th, Canada joined other countries calling on the Iranian regime to submit to binding arbitration under an international dispute resolution process. If the countries cannot agree to terms of arbitration within six months, the case can be taken to the International Court of Justice. Previous efforts to get Iran to participate in negotiations over compensation for victims' families have failed. Events to mark the anniversary of that tragedy happened in 100 cities around the world today. Here in B.C., a march and solemn ceremony was held in North Vancouver. And in attendance were some of the family members of the Canadian victims who are still grieving their losses. Negar Moshtahedi explains what justice would mean for them. Thousands coming together in North Vancouver Sunday afternoon to mark a grim anniversary. It's been three years since the downing of Flight 752, killing all 176 people on board. And still, three years later, no justice and no accountability for the families. People coming together in their grief. The victims, a strikingly high-achieving group, dozens of doctors and academics, all gone. The newlywed couple, a child as young as five, and a woman five months pregnant. For Hamid Reza Borghai, the loss is profound. His sister Negar, her husband Alvan Sadeghi, his sister Sahan Sadeghi, and her daughter Sophie Emami, all dead. Negar was pursuing her master's degree at McGill University in human nutrition, but those aspirations were never to be realized. Sometimes when I dream of my sister, I wake up in tears. The fact that all of these people showed up under this rain today um, to show solidarity with us, I think shows that they've become a symbol. Rally organizer Armand Abtahi knows all too well the pain. His brother, Dr. Mehran Abtahi, just 37 years old, was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of British Columbia. I think this is what he expects me to do, to, to look for justice for him. He was like both father and brother to me. And I lost a great friend, a great brother. The third anniversary happening with the backdrop of executions and a revolutionary movement in Iran with the same regime responsible for the downing of Flight 752 and the killing of 176 innocent lives, also responsible for the deaths of hundreds of Iranian demonstrators. We want to be the voice of the Iranian people 
crying for help, for justice and for freedom. The, this revolution is alive inside and outside of Iran and will be together until the fall of Islamic regime. Premier David Eby committing up to $100,000 to the city of North Vancouver to build a monument in honor of the victims of Flight 752 and for the people of Iran fighting for their freedoms on the streets. Nagar Moshahedi, Global News. There are also increasing international calls to eliminate the oppressive ban on education and work of women in Afghanistan. As Kamal Kramali reports, activists here in B.C. say Canada needs to do more to end the Taliban's oppression of girls and women in that country. The anger and pain clear in the voices of these Afghan women echoing throughout Vancouver's downtown core Sunday. In hopes the message reverberates all the way to the other side of the world. We want the world to know that women in Afghanistan are really suffering. Sahar Maksudi, a university student from Afghanistan, enraged at the Taliban's ban on women accessing university education. But she says she refuses to quit. I'm still studying at the American University of Afghanistan. Why? Because my hope, my everything is connected and related to that university because I want to go back to Afghanistan. In December, women and men across Afghanistan protested the Taliban's misogynistic policy. The administration said the ban on women from universities was largely due to women not adhering to dress codes and interacting with male students. Although world leaders have been vocal in condemning the policy, countries including Canada have not taken any action. What is happening in Afghanistan to the rights of women is simply unacceptable. Prompting this group of Afghan women to bring the issue back to the forefront. I'd first sanction the Taliban. Ban even the travel, the lead Taliban leaders. Ban. Ban the supporters, financial supporters inside of Afghanistan and outside of Afghanistan. Knowing it may be too late for them to finish their education in their home country. And we want the world to pressurize the Taliban's de facto authorities to give the women their fundamental human rights, education and employment. They are very, very basic human rights. But hoping it can start a new beginning for a new generation of women. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Coming up, a mother's mission for expanded search options for missing adults. And that they are in imminent danger. And nothing, nothing is being done when we have an infrastructure that's in place. Why she says an amber alert for her daughter may have saved her life. Plus. Chaos erupts in Brazil as supporters of the country's former president storm Congress. We'll take you there after the break. Would an amber alert system for adults in this province save lives? One Fraser Valley mother believes so when she's calling for such a plan to be implemented after a desperate and ultimately tragic search for her own missing daughter. Travis Prasad has her story. In a lot of pain, worse pain that you'll ever feel. Nearly two years after losing her daughter, Alina Durham is still feeling a flood of grief. Miss my daughter very much. She was my everything and always will be. 23-year-old Shailene Bell's body was found in June of 2021 in the Fraser River near Coquitlam, four months after she went missing. In that time, friends and family searched for her, but getting the word out that their loved one had disappeared was not easy. There were a lot of people that right at the beginning 
they didn't know. And the RCMP, they have a page set up for missing adults, but people didn't go there. They weren't aware. Durham says what could have helped save Shailene was a missing adult alert system. Like the one already used for children's Amber Alerts, floods and wildfires. Durham wants the federal government to expand the public alerting system to certain cases of missing adults. I'm advocating for one specific criteria, an adult that is so out of character for them to go missing, like it was my daughter, and that they are in imminent danger and nothing Nothing is being done. For the past year, Durham has pushed tirelessly for an alert system, talking to everyone from the RCMP to the Prime Minister's office. Still, there's been no traction in Ottawa. Nothing is being done when we have an infrastructure that's in place waiting to be utilized. Nearly 3,700 people have signed Durham's online petition. She's now calling on supporters to put pressure on the feds by emailing the public safety minister. I used to always say to my daughter, Shay, actions speak louder than words. And so that's what I'm doing. To try saving other families from the pain she now lives with. Travis Prasad, Global News. Ukrainians in Vancouver gathered at an Orthodox cathedral last night to celebrate Orthodox Christmas. The event comes at an emotional time for the Ukrainian community as the war in their home country rages on. Many attendees were refugees forced to flee their homes and leave their families behind. They feel very lonely. They feel lonely and they home, they're homesick. They want to go back, especially during the holidays, you know, when everyone getting around with the with around the table with the family the temporarily displaced ukrainians have i don't know where no one here yeah it's very pity for me because now i want to be with my parents my brother my friends and celebrating ukraine and the peace ukraine but now i'm still here and i'm very uh, thank you for the ukrainian diaspora who um, made this event Last night's event was also a fundraiser to help support Ukrainian children who've lost their parents to the war. Well, shades of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol from two years ago in Brazil today. Thousands of supporters of the country's former president, Jair Bolsonaro, broke through a barricade and stormed the Congress building in the Capitol. Protesters climbed on roofs and smashed windows before making their way inside. Video shows broken desks and chairs. Outside, they were met with tear gas from police. Several people were taken into custody. Many of the protesters dispute the results of the October 30th election, which saw Lula da Silva beat Bolsonaro. The former president has repeatedly cast doubt on the credibility of the election. De Silva was sworn in as president one week ago. He is not currently in the Capitol. Coming up on the news hour, Barry and Yvonne join us, plus generational generosity. There's a reason we do this every year. Meet the philanthropic family paying it forward to give back together. That's coming up a bit later in the show. Stay with us. You're watching Global BC. Welcome back. Yvonne Shell is here with weather. It is a soaker out there today. Yvonne, a good day to be inside. 
Yeah, it's been soggy throughout the day, mm -hmm. uh, but there is going to be a brief break. I'll show you that. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we're still tracking some snow, especially along the Kootenai Pass. Those amounts coming up in just a moment. Satellite and radar, we're looking for those areas, especially in yellow. That's the heavier pockets just along the west end. We're not out of the clear just yet. We're seeing it for all areas along the island, especially for the southern half right now with the wave that's heavier at times near Victoria. But in behind it overnight and taking us in towards the morning hours, a brief break, so maybe a drier start as we heading out as we're heading out to work in school we'll have some fog there in the mix and then the winds are going to pick up that'll be a big weather story tomorrow we could see them anywhere between 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour we'll hang on to a chance of showers that'll start to pick up in the morning and then continue through the day so the outlook on monday on and off showers be prepared a few breaks for our tuesday and wednesday future cast showing that us on tuesday wednesday will just be a few isolated showers the next round of heavy rain likely thursday and leading in towards our friday but if you're traveling along the mountain path there is a snowfall warning that remains in effect. Now, the Kootenai Pass could still see that range with up to 10 centimetres and a few spots leading in towards tomorrow morning will taper off to just a chance for some flurries. So it's the Kootenai Pass. You'll want to check in with the latest road conditions. Along the Coquihalla as well as the Rogers Pass, we have additional snowfall amounts, the Coquihalla between 4 and up to 8 centimetres through the day. Now, the northern half of the province, different weather picture. We've got some sunshine in the mix along the coast. Much of the central interior, it's a mix of sun and cloud. Isolated flurry is a bit chilly, though, for the northeastern corners of the province. Southern interior and extending into the southeastern corners of the province. Temperatures close to or hovering the freezing mark. We could see a chance for some flurries or showers for the early morning hours, and then higher elevations will still be looking at that snowfall. Whistler included within that, wet flurries in the mix. Windy, especially along the western edge of the island. Most areas for the south coast will see those winds picking up. Gusts of up to 60 kilometres per hour. Along uh, the lower mainland, we are going to see temperatures, though, for the Fraser Valley, a touch cooler. Chilliwack just getting up to three as a daytime high. Now we're tracking those winds through the day for tomorrow. Some fog patches, do keep that in mind. Isolated showers, but I'm hoping, Sarah, that we'll have a few breaks for both our Tuesday, Wednesday. The next round of rain heavy at times for a Thursday and Friday so far. Back to you. Okay, nice to see that sun at least. You bet. All right. Breaks. Thanks so much, Yvonne. We'll see you soon. It was a record-setting year for the Okanagan Humane Society as the charity saw demand for their services go through the roof. But as Randy Marie Adams reports, with another busy year on the horizon, support is still needed to help local animals. The Okanagan Humane Society broke records this year, helping more animals in 2022 than ever before. Busiest in terms of rescuing the most number of animals, spaying and neutering the most number of animals, pets, cats, dogs, and also our adoptions went wildfire. So 2022 adoptions were through the roof. Volunteer President Romany Runnels tells Global News there was a 42% increase in the rescue program and a 31% increase in adoptions. Now, as 2023 progresses, they're spending time preparing for the new year. We come out with um, trying to encourage people to get ready to spay and neuter their animals. We'd really like to make 2023 the biggest and best year ever for getting as many animals fixed as we can in our communities. The Okanagan Humane Society has a network that spans from a Soyuz to the Shushwap, and they rely heavily on volunteers and the support from the community. This is important because they receive zero funding from governments aside from a BC Community Gaming grant. We had our Angels for Animals campaign. We launched our first annual um, October, November, December. We had a angel donor, a $25,000 match donor, the Burview Walsh Foundation. And we managed to meet uh, and actually exceed 
that target. OHS has been serving the Okanagan for more than 26 years. We're uh, a very grass, grassroots organization. We are, we are truly local. It is local people helping local animals. That's what this is. OHS has several events coming up, like their annual raffle in the spring, a brand new animal party in the fall, and their Angels for Animals campaign in the winter. Randy Marie Adams, Global News, Kelowna. Okay, they are so cute. Guys, good to see you back here on the desk. It's been, what, almost three years. It's been a long yeah. time. It's great to be back. At once. <laughs> Group shot. Reunited. We talked about weather. We got the bad news about the rain. Sounds like we have some bad news coming up about Canucks. Hey, the Canucks can bring the rain as well as Yvonne can. I, you know, I said yesterday it's going to be a tough road trip. For whatever reason, they, they don't match up very well with Winnipeg. It was, uh, they scored some goals today. But again, you know, the Canucks Achilles heel this year has been they haven't defended well. They give the puck away too much and all of those warts we're showing today. So we'll show you their 7-4 loss. The Seahawks are still alive. They won in overtime against the Rams. So we'll have highlights of that and set up the NFL playoffs. There's just one spot remaining and it's either the Seahawks or Packers. So we'll show you the matchups too. Okay, looking forward to that. Okay. Thanks both. We'll see you soon. Coming up, a community divided by the mighty Fraser. This is unbelievable what this community is having to uh, to deal with just to access another part of their communities. Meet the members of a BC First Nation left with no other option but to scale a pipeline in place of a bridge. The calls for change coming up after the break. In north central BC, the Fraser River physically splits a First Nations community in two, but that hasn't stopped some there from making the perilous journey by foot over a pipeline in order to reach the other side. Now, finally, a bridge is in the works. Our reporters from CKPG News. For years, members of the Kleitlitine have lived divided. Homes on one side of the Fraser River, offices on the other. And for years, this is how many got from one side to the other. They would cross the Fraser River walking the pipeline. It's true. And my Uncle Clifford, who was 70, in mid-70s, well, I'll just be nice to him, mid-70s, still walks it. Walks, and I went like, oh my goodness, Uncle Clifford quit. Because <laughs> it's a cable when you're walking across the pipe, like this big pipe, you got to cable it across, like hold on like that. And, and he still does that. The pipeline explosion in 2018 reinforced the need for another route in and out. Access to Northside, where many Clayton members live, has one road in and one road out with no fire protection. Shell Glen Fire Department said if we get a bridge, we can, uh, they will take the fire protection over there. So we have a new health center over there with no fire protection. We have homes over there, no fire protection. The band recently sought a letter of support from city council and got it, no questions asked. You know, I'm hoping to see that go through because this is unbelievable what this community is having to, uh, to deal with just to access another part of their community. So, so I'm, I'm incredibly hopeful um, that, that this advocacy uh, will be strong and, and united and, and have positive results for Clayton today. The Clayton also has support from Canfor and the applications have gone out to the appropriate parties. A feasibility study showed a cost estimate for a double-lane bridge 320 metres long across the Fraser River would cost roughly $43 million. Cheryl Jan, CKPG News. Coming up, Barry's back with sports and an emotional day for the Buffalo Bills. Please rise and show your support as only Bills Mafia can.
United and inspired by DeMar Hamlin, the Bills return to play as their teammate makes a remarkable recovery from an on-field cardiac event. That and much more coming up after the break. Head to BC Place to see Luke Combs. Catch the country superstar coming to Vancouver in May on his world tour as he takes the stage with special guests Riley Green, Lainey Wilson, Flatland Cavalry, and Brent Cobb. Don't miss Broadway Across Canada presenting Fiddler on the Roof at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. Enjoy a wonderful cast and a lavish orchestra telling the heartwarming story of fathers and daughters, husbands and wives, and the timeless traditions that define faith and family. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Welcome back. Barry's back. As you alluded to earlier, <laughs> I mean, not the best start for the Canucks to their road trip. Today. Yeah, this, this mm -hmm. is going to be a tough one. Like I mm -hmm. said, the winds are going to be very hard to come by and uh, did not get one to start off. Thanks, Sarah. The Canucks did not get off to a very good start on their five-game, eight-day road trip today. Canucks were back to their error-prone ways this afternoon in Winnipeg, and the Jets took full advantage. Canucks gave the puck away. They were terrible in their defensive zone coverage. And they couldn't get a save from their goalies. That was uh, the good news in a 7-4 loss. Other than that, they were good. Rick Bonus, Jets head coach, 2,600 NHL games as a head coach, associate coach, coach with the Canucks for a bit, 30-plus seasons, great hockey mind. And he's got the Jets playing great hockey. The goal's fast and furious. Nick Ehlers centers, uh, goes to uh, Kyle Connor. Jets top sniper makes it 1-0 past Colin Delia. Canucks had a goal called back for offside, and just moments after that, it's a bad pinch by Oliver ekman Larson. Stretch pass to Connor, and he goes five-hole, 19th of the year. 2-0 Jets. Bruce is not happy with the bad decisions his Canucks team is making, but the Canucks do come back. Hard work by Elias Pettersson. Steals the puck on the doorstep for J.T. Miller, who will chip in his fifth. And uh, that cut it to 2-1. And then before the first is over, Luke Shen gets the puck on the net. And it's Jack Studnika with the deflection, his third. Always great to get a fourth-line goal, 2-2 two -two after two. But early in the second, Jets quickly jump back out front. Nick Ehlers circles the net, fires it post and in. Dealey is way too deep in his net there. He's got to come out, and uh, no one challenged him. 3-2 Jets. Then Brendan Dillon, how about that? 140-foot pass to Adam Lowry, can't finish, but Morgan Barron all alone. Canucks defensive coverage really quite atrocious. 4-2 Jets, that's it for Delia. Spencer Martin comes on in relief. Hey, the Canucks can score, though. They get, right to get one right back. Bo Horvat, man, is he having a season. Ripping the wrister under the bar is 29th, fourth best in the NHL to make it 4-3. And then on a power play, J.T. Miller, hard pass, nicely redirected in by Sheldon Dries. You have to love Dries' production. Doesn't play a whole lot, but he's got five goals now, 4-4, back on even terms. But the joy didn't last. Axel Janssen-Fialbi snapping one from distance, used Luke Shen as a screen. Martin didn't pick it up very well, 5-4 after two. Early third kind of power play, but it's Winnipeg on the attack. Dylan DeMello with the shorthanded goal. It's just too easy giving up the grade-A chances. 6-4, and the Jets cap the day with a hat-trick goal from Kyle Connor, his 20th. Just another loose defensive game from the Canucks. That has really been their biggest problem this season, among a lot of problems. Jets win it easily, 7-4. You'd like to have thought that, you know, once we came back in the first period, and then we came back in the, in the second period, but the starts of the periods... We got behind, and then we had to fight to get back. And we wanted, we would have liked to, we would have liked to have 
come out at the start of each period and take it to them rather than let them take it to us. Gave up seven goals without an empty netter. I mean, we're just not defending, you know, I guess hard enough or just kind of seem to be giving up a lot of big chances, it seems like, and they're capitalizing on their, on their looks. WHL trade deadline is Tuesday, but the Giants just made a blockbuster deal today, sending World Junior gold medalist and their captain, Zach Kostapchuk, to the Winnipeg Ice for three first-round picks, prospects, and other selections in upcoming Bantam drafts. Winnipeg is a contender in the East. The Giants obviously using this trade to rebuild for the future. Ostapchuk is an Ottawa Senators draft pick. Final Sunday of the NFL regular season, and it was a pretty simple situation for the Seahawks. Beat the Rams and then hope and pray the Lions beat the Packers tonight, and then Seattle gets into the playoffs. Anything less, their season is done. Geno Smith going to the Pro Bowl for the first time. Will he be going to the playoffs for the first time as a starter? First play of the game, not a good sign. Picked off by Jalen Ramsey. That would lead to a Rams field goal, so they jump out three to nothing. Not a lot of offense in the first half. Rams get the game's first touchdown in the final minute. It's 2-2 Atwell on the end around. Dives into the end zone. 13-6 Los Angeles at the break. But the Seahawks do come out firing in the third quarter. Gino with a perfectly thrown ball here to Tyler Lockett. Hits him in stride. 36-yard touchdown. 30th TD pass of the season for Smith. Ties it up 13-all. Fourth quarter, Rams up three. Seahawks forced to punt yet again, but they catch a break. Rams called for running into the kicker. A fortunate call, you could say. Seahawks will take it. Seahawks with a chance now to take the lead. Third and goal from the two, but Kenneth Walker stacked up. Seahawks settled for the field goal, tied at 16. But they got the ball back and had a chance to win the game on the final play. Jason Myers with a 46-yard attempt. It's been kind of pushing him right all day. Oh, he missed it. We missed the... Uh, didn't throw that in. Anyway, he hit the goal post. There was no field goal. So they went to overtime, and it was a pick by Quandre Diggs here. The Seahawks stay alive. They get the ball back. Myers gets another chance. I hate to show negative plays, obviously. Didn't show the miss, but here's the win. 32-yarder drills it, and the Seahawks do their job winning 19-16 in overtime. Now, the Seahawks need the Lions to beat the Packers to punch their ticket to the playoffs. How motivated would Detroit be, though, tonight, knowing their playoff hopes are done? Second quarter, all field goals so far until Jared Goff connects with the rookie, Jamison Williams. He's gone. He's going to take it in for the touchdown. Uh, but there was a flag on the play, holding Lions. It's called back 9-3 the score right now, late in the second quarter. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin still remains in a Cincinnati hospital, but he's made a remarkable uh, progress since Monday when he had to be resuscitated on the field. He's breathing on his own now, talking to family, even watching football as he watched today's Bills-Patriots game from his hospital bed with his parents at his side. And what happened in this game? was pretty special. It was an emotional scene in Buffalo where the Bills paid tribute to Hamlin. Bills quarterback Josh Allen had a large number three flag and the team paid tribute to the team of first responders that saved uh, his life last Monday. And here's a great shot Hamlin sent out before the game from his hospital bed. So then this happens on the opening kickoff. Maybe the football gods had a plan. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield and down the sideline he goes. This is storybook, an opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. 
first kickoff return to start the game for the Bills since 2003. It's very rare, and it didn't stop there, as Naheem Hines had one kickoff return, as we saw. How about a repeat performance in the third quarter? How do you explain this? He said afterwards they felt the wings of DeMar Hanlon take them to victory today as they win it by the final of 35-23. They clinch the number two seed in the AFC, and uh, just... An emotional day. You can't say that they didn't get a little help today as emotional stuff, amazing stuff. And here's their quarterback talking about it. And I, I was just told by Kevin Kern, it's been three years and three months. <sighs> Since the last kickoff return. So, pretty cool. Still very emotional about all that. All right, AFC playoff matchups. Uh, Buffalo will host Miami next week. It'll be Baltimore and Cincinnati, and the Chargers will take on Jacksonville. Kansas City gets the bye. Back to the NFC, Philadelphia Eagles with the chance to claim the top seed in the NFC if they could beat the Giants. Jalen Hurts back at quarterback after missing a couple games with a shoulder injury. Boston Scott with the touchdown run, and the Eagles do lock up the number one seed, 22-16 over the Giants. So Philly will get a first round bye. Now here's the way the other NFC games go. It's either going to be Seattle or Green Bay at San Francisco. We'll know in a couple of hours. It'll be the Giants at Minnesota and Dallas will take on Tampa Bay. Back to the NHL. Flames and Blackhawks from Chicago. Daryl Sutter played seven seasons for the Hawks back in the 80s. Second period. Flames were down 3-1, but they get a goal from Jonathan Huberto, just his eighth to make it 3-2. And then on the power play, another of the Flame newcomers this season, Nazem Kadri with his 16th, ties it at three. And that's where they stand right now in overtime, three all Flames and Hawks. FA Cup, Man City and Chelsea in a third round battle of Premier League Giants. And it was all Man City today. Riyad Mahrez with the first of his two goals. Beautiful strike to the top corner on the free kick. 1-0 City and... City really full of confidence, moving the ball beautifully. Phil Foden with the finish. Man City advanced to the fourth round of the FA Cup as they hammer their Premier League rivals, Chelsea, 4-0. And final round of the Century Tournament of Champions from stunning Maui. Wouldn't it be nice to be there? It was a stunning comeback by John Rahm, who trailed leader Colin Morikawa by nine shots early in this round. But while Morikawa stumbled, Rahm took off. Eagle on the 15th gets him in a tie for the lead. Morikawa kept struggling. This will be his third straight bogey on the 16th, and Rahm will win the Century Tournament of Champions at 27 under. Two better than Morikawa. Corey Connors, top Canadian, was 18th. Series Adam Svensson was 37th in the 39-man field. But Adam still won 200000 for going to Hawaii to play golf, so that's not a bad weekend. Not bad <laughs> at all. All right, thanks so much. Although it's expensive in Hawaii. <laughs> I do it for 200 grand. Yes. Okay, after the break, meet the family who's paying it forward in a big way. We're back in a few minutes. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. A Vernon couple is teaching their three children by example when it comes to philanthropy. Jay Durant now in This is BC. 5,895 meters to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Part of the team that raised $255,000 for charity. It was an emotional climb for James Waller and his wife Rose. There's a reason we do this every year. 14 years ago, the couple met doing charity work in Swaziland. Not long after, wedding plans were in the works. We only had two weeks together um, in that, you know, that space and, and during that time. But it just happened. We really enjoyed each other. A year later, we were married. 
James works for the charity Thrive for Good, which aims to end hunger and malnutrition in impoverished communities in developing countries. Ultimately, Thrive uh, teaches and trains and empowers communities and people how to grow their own organic, nutritious, disease-fighting food. And we do it sustainably. Rose is the executive director for the Corlebu Neuroscience Foundation, a charity saving lives by enhancing healthcare in West Africa. We fly out our um, ICU nurses, post-operative care nurses, OR nurses, anesthesiologists, uh, neurosurgeons to go and then do neurosurgery in Liberia. The Wallers manage a busy schedule, but it's such rewarding work. They're showing their young children how to make a difference. And all three are pretty quick learners, making donations with their own Christmas and birthday money. A year ago, the kids, they donated $200 to go to buying a bus to help refugees out of the Ukraine. So it is nice to sometimes see their own generosity with the little bit they have. The new year brings new opportunities to help with the growth of their respective charities and maybe even look at planning a new fundraising adventure. Although it might be hard to top the Kilimanjaro climb. Rose afterwards, she said, well, let's go climb Everest. Like, you gotta be kidding, that's not happening. If it's for a good cause, there's a way that I can help or contribute. I am, I would definitely do something else to help raise money as well. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people just need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Very cool, paying it forward. Okay, quick look at weather before we go tonight, Yvonne. We are still seeing a few showers this evening. It'll taper off a brief break. We're anticipating that for the morning. Fog, though, and then windy conditions for the day with on and off showers. Those gusts could get up to 60 kilometers per hour. A few breaks for Tuesday, Wednesday, and some heavier rain in the long range. Looks to be for a Thursday, Friday so far. Fingers crossed for sun. We'll have more from sports. Mm -hmm. We'll find out if the Seahawks make the playoffs. It's 9-6, so it's close. Detroit could win still, so Seahawks are hoping. Okay, more to come. That's all for us this evening. Thanks for sharing part of yours with us. We'll see you back here at 11, but stay tuned now for 60 Minutes and Anderson Cooper's interview with Prince Harry. That's next.